What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Sunday, June 25th, 2023, as we look to put a bow on the London series. Cardinals escape London with a split between the two games against the Chicago Cubs, and that feels like a pretty fortunate result. Honestly, after watching the first game unfold on Saturday and then the very beginning of the the second game on Sunday, felt like it was heading in a similar direction, but the Cardinals somehow make a game of it. They battle back scoring runs in four consecutive innings between the second and fifth inning on Sunday and end up winning the game. And tonight on the show, we're going to just kind of reflect on what this series ended up meaning for the Cardinals. How have your thoughts on this team shifted over the past few days? It's been kind of a weird week to be a Cardinals fan and to follow this team because they've only played two games over the past four or five days or so, and, and then Monday will be an off day. But the rest of the division has been playing and the results have been racking up for other teams. And it's very strange that you can have a two-game split, which based on where the I mean, the Cardinals are below 500 on the season by a long shot. And so to think that they win one out of two games across the pond, probably not the end of the world, right? Like we, we said going into it that as long as the Cardinals split, maybe no major takeaways from the series, just kind of survive in advance, get through it. Be nice to sweep it. That would have really been something that could catapult the Cardinals forward with some momentum into the upcoming homestand. But the one thing you didn't want to do was to get swept, to lose two in a row, to sort of give back a lot of the momentum that the Cardinals built over the the quality road trip that they had, which it's kind of weird to think about, but technically the road trip came to an end when they got to London, even though they're as far away on the road as possible. Those were technically home games for the Cardinals that they played against the Cubs. But prior to that, you get the series win in New York. You get the two out of three in Washington, D.C. It was perhaps a small step, but it felt like things were moving in a better direction for the Cardinals. But that was sort of coinciding with the Cincinnati Reds taking off in a way that very few probably saw coming. They rack up the improbable 12-game winning streak to take what seemed like maybe a commanding lead in the NL Central, although then they drop a couple over the weekend to the Braves, and now the Reds are... Just eight and a half games ahead of the Cardinals. They're just a half game up on the Brewers, who have started to turn things around a little bit, winning six of their last ten. And so the division's kind of more compact. And the Cardinals were, I think it was about nine games back Wednesday the 21st before the trip to London. You had the two off days and then the two games played. And now there will be another off day Monday. The Cardinals are not in all that much of a different position than when they left Washington, D.C. I think they were about nine games back. Right now, they're eight and a half games back. But it's interesting how I don't feel like the general feelings about this team right now reflect the fact that they've gained a little bit of ground or at least didn't lose any ground over the course of this week-ish period. It it will have been five days and then a sixth day uh, this coming Tuesday before they they play another game. And that'll basically have been a full week since leaving D.C. to uh, getting boots on the ground again in St. Louis playing the Astros at Bush Stadium on Tuesday night. Basically a week period where the Cardinals, depending on how things go for the other teams in the division on Monday, and the Reds do continue a bit of a tough stretch where they have to go to Baltimore to play a pretty good Orioles team. So maybe that ends up working out for the Cardinals as well after the Braves were able to take a couple of games from Cincy over the weekend. But basically the Cardinals didn't lose ground, didn't gain much ground, I think is the way this is going to end up. But as I was getting into, it's interesting to 
reflect on the general opinions of the team compared to, I think, the positive momentum that was beginning to flow after a couple of series wins. And it feels kind of worse at this point, doesn't it? I, I don't know why I can't. I mean, we'll try to articulate it on B-Shape Daily. That's the whole point. But let me know if you agree or disagree with this in the comments here on YouTube. And you can access the channel, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. If you're listening now on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or somewhere else, would love to get you over to YouTube so that you never miss a live stream or any of the special content that we do over on YouTube. Just search Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer, into the search bar, and you will find us there. But let me know. That's the best place to comment with your thoughts is uh, in the comments section of these videos. But as a Cardinals fan, do you feel better, worse, or about the same as you felt Wednesday night of last week before the Cardinals embarked on this trip. Because even though the standings are about the same and and perhaps they end up gaining a little bit of ground from nine back to now eight and a half back, depends on what the Reds do Monday night as the Cardinals are idle once again as to whether or not they gain any ground. But after a one-in-one period of what's ultimately going to amount to five days, do you feel any better about the Cardinals or, or is it in fact worse despite the fact that I mean, you're 13 below 500. You go 500 over a over a two game series in London. You didn't lose ground, and yet you improved your winning percentage a little bit. In fact, it's interesting that I feel like right now we view this team in a more negative light than we did before, and it's largely because of the way Saturday went. I mean, it was an international crisis for the St. Louis Cardinals to go into London and just in every phase of the game. For nine innings on Saturday, and then for the first inning on Sunday, it was about 10 innings consecutively of utter disaster. Saturday, it was Adam Wainwright just getting knocked around, 11 hits, seven earned runs, a couple of home runs, couldn't record an out in the fourth inning. He pitches three innings in the game. Just the continuation of a final season that so far is simply not going Adam Wainwright's way. He's got a 6.56 ERA at this point. And we'll talk about the thoughts on what my expectations were of Wainwright coming into this game because I I did kind of anticipate that he would struggle. If you saw my tweets over the weekend, I kind of tried to lay this out, but I'll I'll go through my thought process a little bit more. But then I can talk about, too, why it was even maybe worse than I had anticipated it would be and how, to me, that's just – it's hard to watch right now. And the reactions from Cardinals fans to the struggles of Adam Wainwright this season are – varying across the board, but a lot of them have been pretty disappointing. And I now, as of this recording, we've seen Adam Wainwright on Twitter deactivate his Twitter account, actually. I, we don't haven't gotten the reason for that. I'm sure it's something that he'll probably uh, be asked about in, in the coming week. The next time the media gets a chance to talk to him, it may come up, it may not. But I imagine it's just related to the fact that he's getting a lot of shrapnel. And uh, at a certain point for your own health and for your own ability to kind of bounce back from struggles as a pro athlete, Adam Wainwright probably realizes, Hey man, the best thing for me is, is to just get out of sight, out of mind, not allow myself to, to be impacted by this stuff. Again, not putting words in his mouth because we have not heard from him yet on the reasoning for that. But I I did uh, see that floating around a little bit Sunday night that he is as of the, as of this recording anyway, uh, deactivated his Twitter account. And if you've seen a lot of the tweets that, that go out there, I, you know, you, you can probably connect the dots a little bit and understand why that decision might have been made. But uh, just in terms of his performance on the field, certainly it was a struggle on Sunday, and the Cardinals' offense was just about as bad as they are, again, unable to really come through with runners in scoring position. They go one for six, didn't get a ton of opportunities, 
didn't get a ton of hits off of Justin Steele um, as a team ending up for the day with just six hits. And it I, defensively, there were there were breakdowns. The first inning of Sunday's game was uh, a, a comedy of errors for the Cardinals. They were charged with two errors. I think there probably could have been more than that against the Cardinals. Arenado just completely whiffing a ball. And I know the, the turf was weird. It was the Astro turf at London Stadium, and it's bouncy. And so maybe that causes Arenado to have a... At a certain point, though, if like we can just call a spade a spade on some of those plays and just acknowledge that the Cardinals, it's like they didn't have their head in the game. Saturday it looked that way, and then uh, Sunday at the beginning of it, it was once again just kind of shell-shocked, giving up four runs in the first inning. Matthew Libertor ends up being the starter for Sunday. That was something we did not expect. But Jack Flaherty dealing with the hip tightness, uh, maybe residual something happening because of the flight, the long flight, maybe just kind of locked up on him. Uh, as of right now, not on the injured list, and so hopefully for the Cardinals' sake, that's something that resolves itself rather quickly. But the opportunity there for Libertor to make his mark in this in this game was basically taken away from him before it ever began, and he wasn't sharp either. I'm not I'm not trying to act like he was, but he also I think caught a bit of a raw deal again, kind of knowing last minute that you're going to make this start. I don't know how far in advance they told him, but it couldn't have been uh, more than you know 24, 36 hours. I would have to imagine it would have been after they landed that they realized Jack Flaherty's not feeling quite right. And Libertor only ends up going uh, two and a third. But again, the four runs that he gave up, none of them were earned. DeYoung and Gorman with uh, errors. And like I said, I guess Arenado was not given an error for his misplay, but uh, certainly, in my opinion, should have been. I think they initially did, but maybe they took it away because it is not showing on MLB.com as of right now. And I, think, I don't even think he ever touched the ball, which a lot of times the official scorer will let a fielder off the hook if they never if they never even make contact with the baseball. But for me, that was a play that Arenado needed to have made and uh, one of many for the Cardinals in the early portion of this game Sunday. But like I said, we have these negative emotions, I feel like, about a team that, uh, yeah, it's been a bad year. But if you want to just isolate it to the last couple of days, they win a game, they lose a game. The how, the why, the details, maybe not important. But I think some of those details are important in terms of turning the page and sort of trying to predict what we can expect from the Cardinals going forward, what kind of team will they be when they get back home and try to make a run at this thing now, 13 games below 500 still, and again, eight and a half back as we speak of the Cincinnati Reds in the NL Central. It's, I mean, it's still within striking distance, but you look at the record and say 13 games below 500. You can't imagine they're going to win this division with a below 500 record. And so to play 13 over the rest of the way as – we're not quite to the halfway point of the season, but within a couple of weeks, we will be. This is not a team to this point that has demonstrated the ability to play at 13 games above 500. They've done the exact opposite of that. And it's no longer a small sample size that we've seen this. And so you're kind of waiting for the Cardinals to lock it in. It feels like in New York and Washington, they, they get a little bit closer to that. More consistency from the rotation. You're seeing good at bats from the offense. And then it just completely goes away Saturday. There's a lot of reasons that that could have happened. You could make the excuse or you could give the explanation that the flight, they were just, you know, jet lagged, whatever. They had two days to recover and and they were out and about going to events and things like that. At the end of the day, it's ultimately the business of baseball and you have to get back on the field and, and try and make something happen when you're scheduled to do so. And the Cubs seem to have no problem doing it. So I don't think the Cardinals adapted as, as quickly to kind of lock in the way they needed to on Saturday. And it showed. It was... Uh, Top to bottom, one of their worst games of the season. Like I don't, I can't think of any area, any positive uh, 
thing to say about what they did on Saturday other than like the bullpen had had a really nice weekend in general because they had to cover for what was happening in the rotation, which Wainwright and Libertor combined at the end of the weekend for just five and a third innings pitched out of the rotation. Over the course of two games, it's basically unacceptable, but you get the bonus of knowing that, well, with all these off days, you can basically throw the rest of the arms at it and see what happens. And the bullpen was generally pretty good. Steven Matz, three and a third of scoreless baseball is noteworthy, especially as we continue to kind of see the struggles of Wainwright and Libertor. I wonder eventually what it's going to look like for the Cardinals if there is a decision to come. Um, I don't think we're there yet on Wainwright, and I'll explain why that is. But I did say you give Libertor till the, the middle of July and just kind of see. But the fact that they'll take him out of a game in the third inning, like I know he had been running the pitch count up, hadn't given up any earned runs. And so, again, it's not entirely his fault. But the fact that Ali Marmol shows that level of aggression with Matthew Libertor after 56 pitches, and I don't know if there was anything injury-related or anything like that, but that's certainly an aggressive position to take. And you kind of understand it, too, because the Cardinals had begun to score runs to make their way back into the game, and Ali Marmol realizes, hey, we got to get whoever's going to be our best chance to find a way to win this game and have that guy be who's on the mound right now. Cardinals scored three runs in the second, another run in the third, so they were able to tie the game in the bottom of the third inning after Libertor had already been lifted from the contest. But to get then two and a third innings from Jake Woodford, scoreless, Hannesis Cabrera, an inning and a third, Gallegos, Palante, and uh, then Hicks pitches for the save, does give up a run, but uh, all's well that ends well as the Cardinals win Sunday 7-5. to five. The bullpen had a nice weekend, Saturday and Sunday both. Other than that, I've got nothing positive to say about what we saw from the Cardinals on Saturday. They just did not look ready for the action, whatever the case might be. And again, you could isolate it and say, well, it was the flight and it was all, it was just the, the weirdness in general of this event. And it's like, that's fine. But the Cardinals at this point, like I said, we're getting closer to halfway through the season. You've got to find something to hang your hat on eventually to say, this team is going to round into form and find consistency. And when you see it go so far in the other direction, in the first game of uh, an event that a lot of people had their eyes on. Yeah, I, I think even though you you do end up coming back to win the second game, it's not unreasonable to have a, a, a kind of a malaise about the way this whole thing went. I think it's a sigh of relief that you can breathe to go, all right, you avoided the disaster of getting swept, and then suddenly you go, well, remember that four games in a row that we won? It basically just got erased by losing the final game in D.C. and then losing two in London. It, you know, you're, you're treading water at that point. So they at least avoided backsliding to that degree before the return to Bush Stadium on Tuesday. But that's kind of the overarching thought for me right now from Cardinals fans. And once again, want to hear from you. Let me know in the YouTube comments. Make sure to like this video as well. Always helps me when you guys throw a like onto the YouTube videos. Right before, of course, uh, subscribing, hitting that subscribe button. If you really do enjoy the Cardinals content, uh, we're bringing it several times a week. Under normal circumstances, it'll be a daily basis, but it's been a little bit weird the, the past week with the fact that they haven't played a lot of games and had a lot of family stuff going on as well. If you've been listening to B-Shape Daily, you've heard me talk about that a little bit. But definitely don't hesitate to hop on board if you just found the channel. Welcome. Make sure you subscribe, and we'll be having Cardinals content all the way through, uh, win, lose, or draw, which uh, a lot more losing has come for the Cardinals this season. But uh, regardless, I mean, we'll, we'll still have trade deadline stuff to talk about as I believe this team does need to be pretty active. Whatever that ends up looking like, John Mosellock and company have got to figure that out. But uh, we'll be here to break it all down. So make sure you uh, 
subscribe to the channel. And appreciate you guys for being here, and that's why I want to hear from you. Let me know in the comments how have the last few days of Cardinals baseball or, or baseball in general within the NL Central changed your view of the St. Louis Cardinals and what their trajectory might be the rest of the way? Do you have a malaise about the way things have been going and the way things went in London, or do you take the positive out of it? Because if you if you really were inclined to, to view the glass half full, you could look at Sunday's game and recognize that the Cardinals, a team that over the course of, I don't know, they've played what now, 77 games? So I was wrong about that earlier. The, it's not going to be a couple of weeks before the Cardinals will have reached the halfway point. It's going to come within the next four or five days that – Game 81 will take place. They've played 77, and so it's coming this week that the halfway point of the season will have been reached. They've played 77 games so far, and they're a team that over the first, I don't know, 70 of those games, it only seems like recently they had the comeback from when they were down 5 nothing and they ended up storming back to win that game. But for the majority of the season, this was not a team that was catered to the comeback, that were, you, you felt like had a chance after they experienced a large deficit early in a game. If you want to view the glass half full, Sunday, that's exactly what happened. They are down 4 nothing. They look pitiful defensively. You have Libertor on the mound who just has not, you know, been able to to carve together some consistency. He's got a 5-6-0 ERA after, uh, after Sunday's game, which I guess it went down because of the fact that he gave up four runs, but none of them were earned. But he struggled, and Sunday was another example of that. But the defense really let him down in the first inning. And so you just have all of these negative feelings about the way things are, are bound to go. It, it almost seemed certain that the Cardinals were going to lose once again, and then it didn't happen. I mean, they battle back. They score three runs in the second inning as we finally see this offense start to get the line moving and, and keep it that way, and good as well to see them take advantage of some bad defense by the, the Chicago Cubs as Tommy Edmond ends up getting on base on the uh, the, the misplay by Trey Mancini, where that was an inning-ending play. There were two outs, and you hit a dribbler to the right side, but Tommy Evan has good speed. He forces the issue a little bit there. That extends the inning to Brennan Donovan, who again just continues to take fantastic at-bats for the Cardinals, and we end up seeing him play a couple of runs there to start to bring it back. Jordan Walker continuing his hitting streak to 15 games and was able to drive in a run to tie the game in the third inning. Like, we saw a lot of nice things from the Cardinals' offense, and that was a team that you sort of figured was going to be down and out after the 4 nothing deficit. But to score seven runs the way that they did and to do it with timely hitting, I want to check out the uh, runners in scoring position. Four for 13, um, you take that. It's certainly a lot better than we've seen at times. The Cardinals were also able to produce runs through other means, like I said. The error that Edmund reaches base, you take advantage of your chances when you get them. And it was just nice to see them kind of keep the line moving. There's a day for the Cardinals where you don't end up with any home runs, but to put up seven runs, that should help out for the, the, the fans who rightfully at times have said, hey, this team does not seem to be able to generate offense unless they're they're hitting the long ball. And the long ball is nice. I've said don't poo-poo the long ball because hitting a home run is a very easy way to score runs. It, it's good to have a team that can do that, can, can show power. It, it keeps you within games. In ways that, uh, like when you have to go station to station, string together three singles, makes it a lot harder to score if that's the only way you can do it. So it's nice to be able to have the home run ball as a as an element of your game, but don't be so one-dimensional to where it, you don't seem to ever come through with the clutch hit unless it, it's swinging for the fences and, and you end up connecting on that. So I think that should give people some encouragement, honestly, from 
the game on Sunday that the Cardinals were able to kind of scrap together a nice day offensively and, and do so without hitting home runs. Now you combine it with days where the, the ball does fly and, and you do want those damaging, powerful swings combined with the launch angle and all the things we talk about that can create home runs. Uh, but it, it's nice to see the Cardinals have a day where they have a comfort behind win, where they don't hit a home run, but they score robustly with seven in the game. And, and scoring in four different innings is another, like that's another measurement you score in half the innings you play because as the home team didn't bat in the bottom of the ninth, four out of eight, that that's a great sign. The Cardinals need to have more games like that because it suggests that you have an offense and a lineup that's engaged throughout a, a larger portion of the game rather than just that it seems at times where the Cardinals will have one or two shots. And if they don't take advantage of those chances, then that, you know, you, you may have just lost your opportunity to win a baseball game. And that's happened too many times for the Cardinals this season. It's why they're eight and sixteen in one-run games. Uh, again, that's a mark that if you were you were to just play five hundred baseball to this point in those one-run games, you'd be a lot closer. You'd be you know four and a half games back instead of eight and a half, and it's a a substantial difference that the Cardinals they have to look in the mirror every day. They have to see that deficit and try to just play their best game while realizing that time is not on their side to be able to mount the comeback that they need to produce. But did see some good things from Sunday. Again, if your glass half full, I, the, the whole thing here is I want to gauge the kind of temperature of Cardinals fans, and it may have been easier to do that with a live stream tonight, but just a lot going on. And so let me know in the YouTube comments, and uh, I'll be looking forward to the next live stream where we can really dig into some of this. But there were definitely things to be encouraged by. Uh, Wilson Contreras having a four-hit day on Sunday could be huge to maybe jumpstart him and get him going because this is a guy that's going to bat in the middle of the lineup. I know a lot of people when it came to Saturday's game were messaging me going, why is Wilson Contreras batting cleanup? And that's where they had him against uh, the, the lefty Justin Steele on Saturday. He was back down a little lower in the lineup at his traditional number five spot uh, with Marcus Stroman as the starter for the Cubs. But it just felt like a game where finally the the hard hit balls or just the medium hit baseballs were finding holes for Wilson Contreras. Whereas in times previously, it, it's hard when you're hitting 198, which was kind of the the low mark of his batting average. I think it's uh, well, it's now up to 216, but I think 198 was about as bad as it got for Wilson. And when that's going on, you're probably doing a combination of having some bad luck that you hit into, but also just not taking great at bats. It's going to cut both ways on those things typically. But I would say that Sunday was an example of even if they weren't all great hits, he was putting the ball in play with with some level of authority on some of the hits, and he was getting rewarded for it, balls finding holes. And that hopefully can be the thing that gains him some confidence because, again, he told John Denton, you remember a couple of weeks ago, saying that he basically has lost his trust and his confidence and, and really had never felt so low at any other point of his career. And it was something that personally I think was a, was a grind to get Wilson Contreras through that. Hopefully something like a four-hit game, his first since 2021, can be the thing that propels him forward. The Cardinals really need him to be a legitimate veteran in the middle of the lineup. Arenado has fallen off once again. The OPS down to 786. I think it's notable because he was around 850 at one point and has really tailed off. We know that Nolan Gorman has done so. Although Sunday, again, you're looking for bright side opportunities. Gorman taking a lot, much more better at bats on Sunday, two for three, and then he also reaches base via walk on base three times, scored a run, drove a run in. That looked better. They need those two guys because the upside of what a, a, a rolling Nolan Gorman means and a, a Wilson Contreras who is locked in to wherever they're going to bat. Contreras mostly going to bat fifth. 
Gorman, I think they've settled him a little bit lower. They're trying Lars Nupar in the three-hole to, to wedge him between Goldie and Arenado. I'm not a fan of it, honestly. I think I understand why they want to separate those two guys to sort of allow for as tough of a situation as you can make it on opposing managers when it comes to bullpen management. And regardless of whether you're you're going to throw a lefty or a righty, uh, you're not going to be able to just stack it against a certain portion of the lineup. I, I almost say let that go because new part of me is just not a three hitter. Uh, he had a, a base hit and an RBI run scored in that game on Sunday, but I just, I think it's a better alignment if you have him more toward the top setting the table along with Brendan Donovan, who does a nice job of that. I, I feel like Donovan and new part go with it the way that you did toward the end of last season. I know they're both left-handed. I think they both can handle themselves though against either handedness of pitcher. And so I honestly wouldn't mind seeing that alignment a little bit more to me. It's just, it feels like you're forcing it a little bit too much with Newport. He hasn't really shown a lot of power this year. Uh, and, and the OPS down to 746, that needs to be about as low as it goes for Newt. He needs to be a guy in the 750, 760, 770, 780, getting the OPS up, buoyed by on base percentage, and then and mixing in some power when, when, it, when you're able. But I just don't really see him as a number three hitter. Nitpicking, I, I get a lot of people have a lot to say about the batting order stuff. It is asinine to me that we still see Jordan Walker batting seventh. Uh, he's on this eight-game hitting, or eight-game, 15-game hitting streak. 841 is his OPS. He's hitting 302. He needs to be batting higher in the order. Um, Ollie Marmel, I'm sure, has his reasons. We can disagree with them. It is what it is, but I don't, I don't have to pretend that I that I think it's a good idea. I think the lineup would be better served to find ways to get Walker uh, a little bit higher up. But I know the batting order stuff is always uh, good fodder, and so I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit of that. I wouldn't bat Wilson Contreras clean up unless he really starts to get back and demonstrate. I mean, the OPS up to 676 is helpful, but he needs to be 750, 760, just like Newpar. And I mean, if everybody's in that 750 range, you're going to have the guys that uh, exceed that and go above and beyond. And that's when you're going to find some consistency, I think, from this batting order because there just won't be very many holes in it. Uh, you're seeing Edmund right now at 723, had a hit on Sunday. DeYoung had a hit Sunday. He's at 751. We know we keep an eye on the 750 mark when it comes to DeYoung because of the Venmo $1,000 that someone said they'd pay me if. Uh, if the young goes 750 OPS with 400 plate appearances, so maybe they got to move the young up in the lineup actually, just for the sake of that non-bet that we're going to continue to track for fun. But the batting order kind of is what it is. It's going to be a bottom line situation, honestly, for the Cardinals offensively. Can the lineup come together consistently one through nine and have more days like they did in the game on Sunday? Only Arenado was unable to get a base hit in Sunday's game. The other eight starters had at least one. Contreras with four, and Gorman had two. Everybody else had exactly one. But some RBI hits, some good things that we saw. I'm just curious, like, how do Cardinals fans, what's their takeaway? Because if I'm looking at this in the weekend at large, I'm I'm basically, it's about status quo, but it doesn't feel exactly the same. Like, is there a chance that they make the comeback and, and ride the wave into a compelling argument for the division? Yeah, there's still a chance. This weekend didn't change that for the better or for the worse, but I think it highlighted even more specifically what the challenges on the pitching side are going to be, and and it just may be very difficult for the Cardinals to overcome them. I thought Adam Wainwright would have figured things out by now, but I also did not expect Adam Wainwright to figure it out specifically on this weekend. I thought this was going to be a rough one. I didn't think it would be as rough as it was, but I had some thoughts coming in where if you looked at the London series from 2019, the last time anybody played in London, 
That was Yankees-Red Sox. That was also a two-game series. 50 total runs were scored in that two-game series. Yes, they moved the fences out a little bit. They moved the power alleys out a little bit to try and account for that somewhat. I also, though, thought MLB loves to do this. They love to juice up the baseballs with when it's these big events. And so I kind of figured that's what they would do for the London series. I don't know if we saw really any evidence of that on Saturday, though. A couple of home runs for Ian Happ against Adam Wainwright, but he owns Adam Wainwright. He has six home runs against him in his career, and I believe that is more than anybody else in, in Major League Baseball. Joey Votto was the previous leader against Wayno. I think Happ with the two homers on Saturday passed up Votto. But I thought coming in, if they were going to use juice balls, that was going to make it difficult for Wayno because he is pitched to contact at this point in his career. Has never been a huge strikeout guy, but certainly at this stage has got to pitch to contact. He needs his defense behind him to be engaged. And ideally, you, you put the contact soft and you put it where the gloves are. And that's been something that's been a challenge for Adam Wainwright and really the entire Cardinals starting rotation this season because they haven't missed enough bats as a group. And you're seeing the results of that with the limitations on the shift and the pitch clock and everything that's kind of putting a squeeze on this starting pitching staff. You're seeing a lot of that play out. I figured it would be tough for Wainwright in that environment. I just kind of figured it would be a struggle. I didn't think it was going to be three innings, seven runs worth of struggle. And so that really, to me, was difficult and sad to watch because you know that Adam Wainwright wants to be out there competing and and thriving the way he did against the Mets over the, the previous weekend. Like, he had a good start, six-plus innings, I think six and a third or six and two-thirds, and just three earned runs allowed in that previous outing uh, the, the, the prior Saturday, I believe it was. But it just didn't look the same. He was not able to be effective. The Cubs were sitting on everything. He left the breaking ball up high uh, more times than I could count. The fastball really isn't also fast. He's mid to maybe generously upper 80s at times. The location's got to be pinpoint, and if it's not, you're going to get hit around, and they just seem to have a really good bead on what he was throwing. They they were hitting all of his pitches. It was really tough to watch, and I it was tougher for me, I'll be honest with you, and I made reference to this earlier on in the show, but Wainwright deactivating his Twitter account for right now is not a surprise to me. We haven't gotten the full reason or an explanation. If it's something that he'll talk about, we'll wait and see. But it's it's not all that surprising to me when I see some of the things that are tweeted. I don't know about to Adam Wainwright because I'm not searching his Twitter handle to know what people actually are tweeting at him, which, by the way, as a general rule, there's never a reason to tweet at a player. It doesn't matter if it's MLB, college players, college football, whatever. Never tag a player in your tweet. They don't care. They don't care. You just want to vent. You you can vent without tagging them. And I know you might say, well, that's subtweeting. Why would I do it? Don't tag the player. It is just really, to me, disrespectful. There's never a... The, the only instance in which you're going to tag a player is if you're going to give some encouragement. And that... Otherwise, I just don't... I just do not think it should be done. I don't respect it when people do it. Twitter and social media has a really easy way of just dehumanizing all of us. And I, I think it... It's never more clear than when you're seeing tweets thrown at an athlete because they didn't do well enough or for your fantasy team or for, for your favorite team. It doesn't really make a difference or matter what it is. But don't be doing that is the first and foremost. But beyond that, I had some tweets that I was you know evaluating about Adam Wainwright where I said, I figured today could be rough because I do buy into the juice ball stuff, which I had to clarify because I wasn't saying... Yeah, Wainwright was poor because of the juice balls. 
I was saying, I thought coming in it could be rough because I expected the balls to be juiced, although I don't know that they were, which makes it even more maybe concerning about Wainwright's performance. But I said, it's just surreal watching Wainwright struggle to that degree in a big event like this one. The stuff was just not sharp, and the Cubs hit all of it. Deflating is the comment that I made. But I had a lot of people come back at me and question the take and what's his excuse for every other start and people saying he made a selfish decision to come back in the first place. Wainwright may be the worst pitcher, big game pitcher in history. Just a lot of, you know, negativity, which I understand. It was negative. There there wasn't any positive comments to make, so I get that. But a lot of, oh, maybe now he'll retire. He's He's washed. He's, you know... Totally get it. But if you're saying that to me about Adam Wainwright, that's what I'm saying. Like, I wonder what people are actually saying to him that he probably read and causes him ultimately to de- deactivate the Twitter account. But my takeaway was like, be angry if you want to be that, you know, Wainwright is one fifth of the Cardinals rotation and the rotation has really struggled this year. But I just view it as more of kind of a, it's just kind of sad to me because you know how much Adam Wainwright has given to the Cardinals. And it's sad to see the fans turn on in the way that a lot of people have. And I'm not I'm not making any judgments about anybody's opinions. If you, you know, if you're frustrated that Wainwright is still on this team and you think he shouldn't be because his numbers, you know, have have really taken a dive this year and you don't expect him to get it back, that's fine. I'm still, like I said, I'm going down with the ship on Adam Wainwright. I'm expecting him to in some way, shape, or form figure it out and find a way to stabilize this. But in the London environment, I just didn't think it was going to happen. I also didn't think it would be seven runs in three innings. It's just one of those games that I thought would be a grind, but it ended up kind of unraveling completely on him. But I'm still going to say, I, until until he completely is done, he said what he told John Denton earlier this season, don't put me in the grave yet. Until he's in the grave with his MLB career, I'm still going to be inclined to believe that Adam Wainwright's got a trick or two left up his sleeve. But it is, at this point, it's wearing to to, to watch and to know that the stuff is just not going to be what it what, what it once was. He's already got to be extra crafty because he was never a hard thrower, and now he's even lost a little more of that velocity, and you hope everything with health and stuff is right because if it's not, then he probably doesn't have a chance to figure it out. But I'm still inclined to go, all right, Wayno, let's see what it let's see what it looks like. And that might be blind optimism at this point, and that might be a homer take because I see it. I see it just as well as you do that it has not looked right for Adam Wainwright. But again, he had a solid game the previous start uh, against the Mets. And if he could string together a number of O's, then maybe you feel differently about it. But yes, in the game on Saturday in London, the Cubs were all over his stuff. But for me, my takeaway, and again, different perspective. I've talked about how I'm not a Cardinals fan anymore. But you know what? I was when Adam Wainwright was just getting started. And uh, you know, as 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 much as you you you're objective about it. I also say Adam Wainwright's a guy that everybody roots for. I don't think that's a secret. People, you know, you want to see guy, you want to see good people do well. Adam Wainwright's good people. He's given a lot to the Cardinals organization, and so it's painful to watch it because not only because of the performance, because you just it's it's tough to see guys who maybe just aren't at their peak performance anymore, and they're trying to grit through it. And on a lot of these days for Wainwright, it's just been clear that he hasn't had it. Some days it's been bad luck. Some days it's been you know, deserved exactly the luck that the pitch is dictated. And, you know, you can debate that till the cows come home. But regardless, it's just ugly and uncomfortable to see the way it feels like. I mean, Adam Wainwright probably feels like he doesn't have the backing of Cardinals fans and, and at least the ones on social media. And I think Adam Wainwright is smart enough, too, and he's talked about this before, 
to know that like Twitter isn't everything. It's not the opinions of the entire Cardinal nation. But at the same time, if you're seeing a lot of people say, Hey man, you're trash, retire and all these things that they're tweeting at him that the, the people shouldn't be, then I, yeah, I get it. It probably does wear on you. And so, you know what, if it makes me a bad baseball analyzer and you don't respect my opinion because I say this and that's fine. But my overwhelming thought was, man, that's just sad. That's sad that this is happening with Wainwright, that he's not able to perform on the stage that he wants to at this point to, uh, like, I still think he'll get that 200 wins, but the season hasn't gone the way he expected. And to watch kind of the way the narrative is really turned against him, uh, you know, I'm sure it's something that fuels him that he's going to try his best to, to write the ship, but at some point, you know, whether whether he's able to or not, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. But I, I will say, from an emotional standpoint, it's like, man, that is hard to watch. And I feel like I'm maybe I'm not surprised because I get how sports fans can be. But a lot of the overwhelming sense about the Wainwright conversation is not kind of poignant sadness of, man, this it, it sucks to see him maybe going out this way if this is really the way the full season is going to go for him versus – just the blind anger that I said, like, he should have retired. He's, he knew he was washed and he stole 17 million. And it's like, folks, folks, I get it that this is a frustrating, but let's, let's, let's keep the humanity would be my recommendation. And Hey, at, at B Schaefer 12 on Twitter, if you're listening on YouTube, you can comment and say, no, nah, dude, you're full of crap. And here's why we're right about Wayne, right? It's like, listen, the numbers are what they are. I'm not arguing against the numbers. I'm just arguing for the humanity a little bit of it. But let me know what you think. Like, genuinely, I think that's maybe a, a crisis a lot of Cardinals fans are going through because you want to root Wayne right on and you want to see him do well, but when he doesn't, how does that affect you as a fan? Knowing all the good years that you've seen with him, knowing this might be like any start you see could be the last chance, especially if there's, heaven forbid, an injury or something that ends up popping up. Not to say that that's going on with Wainwright, but like he's a pitcher and every pitcher every pitch that anybody throws could be the last one that you see because arms blow out and things happen. So it's just one of those where as the season sort of winds down, we're getting close to that halfway mark, as I mentioned, I'm just kind of curious how Cardinals fans are feeling about this Wainwright situation, because I don't know that they're going to remove him from the rotation. It may get to that at some point, but it also could get to the other side where you go, ah, you're 15 games under you, you need guys that can throw innings and, and Wainwright can probably get you through five or six innings most days. And so they're just probably going to write that out. Like, I don't necessarily anticipate removing Wainwright from the rotation is imminent. I don't think it happens at all. Uh, even if the numbers kind of stay where they are, if you have too many seven inning or pardon me, seven run three inning outings, maybe that's a different story, but that's, I think going to be more the anomaly for Wainwright the rest of the year. But how do Cardinals fans feel? Because I've kind of said my piece about my reaction and my reflection upon the struggles and they've been real. Don't let anybody tell you that Brendan's making excuses for Wayno. No, I mean, he's struggled. He's been really poor this season and it's, it's fallen short of every expectation that he had for himself. And I know that that Cardinals fans had for, for what that would look like, but I think he would still probably say it's not in the past tense. I think he's going to continue to, to try and write the ship uh, until further notice. So we'll see, but let me know in the comments here on this YouTube video, what's your reaction to uh, the Wainwright struggles and in general, where you're at on this team right now. I think if you can get the consistent offense, that's going to help. But like I said, even in a one-in-one weekend where you win one, you lose one, does the pitching end up being the thing that this team just cannot overcome? Because Libertor may not be the answer. And I told people that as I was advocating for the Cardinals to bring him up and give him a, a long leash, 
of six, eight, ten starts. I also said out of the other corner of my mouth, by the way, just keep in mind, he may not be the solution. But I thought at the time it was very clear that Steven Matz was not. And eventually the Cardinals have got, I'm not going to say they're babying their pitching prospects, but you think about the different guys, it's like, is the development going to happen or not for these guys? You almost have to throw them in the deep end of the pool and, and see it, especially when there is such a gaping hole in the rotation that was the, the form of Steven Matz just not performing that you say, listen, Libertor has done well in Memphis. Get a look at what this is because you've got decisions to make about not only the rest of this season, but for sure the 2024 rotation. And if he's going out there with a five and a half or, or six ERA for the 10 starts that you end up giving him, then ultimately I think that you, you at least have to take that, that data sample and go, maybe this guy is not part of the future or we, we can't just pencil him in as a, a cheap way to fill out the 2024 rotation if he's not going to be able to consistently do it. I would root for Matthew Libertor, and I would say at times the Cardinals have had opinions about pitchers, and then they go somewhere else, and they thrive, and the Cardinals maybe didn't see that coming out of them, and, and it ends up being unfortunate, and the timing is off, or whatever it ends up being. But development of young pitching talent has been a, a, a troubled spot for this organization the last few years. Not really since Jack Flaherty, right? Have we seen the Cardinals develop a starting pitcher that then becomes a mainstay in the rotation? And even Flaherty has had his ups and downs, but certainly uh, he's he's here on the cusp of free agency and has been a starter uh, all of his healthy years with St. Louis. So for me, the Cardinals almost owe it to Libertor, but owe it to themselves and to their fans to give the prospect that they gave up Randy Rosarena to get an opportunity, right? They traded away Randy Rosarena. We know what he's gone on to do with the Rays. The Cardinals need pitching. They need controllable pitching because they don't have answers for next year's rotation. It made all the sense in the world to give Libby this chance. But it, you, you had to know that it wasn't necessarily going to be a smooth ride, and it hasn't been. I don't think you pull the plug on it yet, in my opinion, but to only give him 56 pitches and two and a third on Sunday makes me wonder if that may end up coming sooner than we think because we saw Woodford and Matt's both look good over the weekend, and so they may play some more musical chairs with it. I personally would stick with Libby a little bit longer because I don't really think Woodford or Matts are long-term solutions in the rotation, and I, I think for as much as you want to play for 2023, which you still have to try to win games, they also would benefit from getting to know whether Matthew Libertor is a major league starter or not. And you maybe won't be able to find that out from a 10-game sample, but you can find out more in a 10-game sample than in a, a five- or six-game sample and so I would continue to, to run him out there every fifth day because of the youth, because of the upside, because of the contract situation. A guy like that panning out is exactly what this team needs for 2024, and I would I would let this run its course just to see. But it ends up being a pretty big disappointment and a reflection of whether the Cardinals can actually make some noise in 2023 if he can't end up kind of holding down a rotation spot. And like I said, over the weekend, you may have won – half the games you played, but you saw another rough one from Wainwright and an, another concerning outing from Libertor where you just don't know what to expect. And you're back to a spot where, especially with the Flaherty injury, if, if he needs the IL, which hopefully it doesn't end up being the case, it sounds like a short-term thing, but now you can look and go, well, 40 to 60% of the rotation is now back in a, a, a place of flux that doesn't feel so good. And that could be the thing that tanks this team coming up to the trade deadline. It's going to be a monumental task for John Mosellock and company to 
reorganized in the way that I think they need to, but we've got just a little bit more than a month to go. And I think they need to probably make some deals that would resemble selling. Um, but but only if they're going to turn around and then find a match, find a dance partner to bring more of a long-term starting pitching solution to St. Louis. They trade Montgomery or Flaherty and trade for, in a separate deal, a guy that can be expected to pencil into the 2024 and maybe even beyond rotation by uh, whether it's a guy that they signed to an extension or a guy that's got a, a few years of team control remaining. I think those are the kinds of deals that the Cardinals front office has got to be seeking at the deadline. And that might mean trading away one of the starters that like has been doing pretty well. Montgomery has really settled it down. Uh, I, I know there could be an al- element of this uh, as to whether or not a qualifying offer would go out to to either or both of the guys after the season and, and how that might impact the decisions on who you trade because – if you're just going to get a couple of prospects, that prospect has got to be better than the scenario of keep the guy through the end of the season, extend the qualifying offer, and have him reject it, and then you get a a draft pick in exchange from the team that signs him. So you do have to kind of weigh that out as an option too. Uh, but I really think if if these guys, especially Flaherty and Montgomery, the two that are on on the expiring contracts, if they have a good July. There are going to be teams out there that are desperate for pitching that I think you can end up with a pretty decent haul for either or both of them. But then you have to turn around and go, okay, how far back are we? If the Cardinals are five, six games out, is that close enough to say, if we're trading pitching away, we're going to have to acquire some in the very next breath. Otherwise, we're dooming the 2023 team. That's all that's going to be really interesting to balance, I think, for John Moselak. What would you like to see the Cardinals do at the deadline? I know everybody wants to say, oh, well, not everybody, but a lot of people say, well, just sell it all, tear it down, trade Paul Goldschmidt. We saw from John Mozeliak, I I saw it in the Jeff Jones article. I don't know if anybody else uh, wrote about it or or where Jeff actually got that quote from Mo, but he basically said, I would hope that the Cardinals would not be allowed to endure a rebuild, essentially, a teardown that sees multiple years in a row of losing. And to me, that's what the trade Arenado, the trade Goldschmidt types of moves would be of like strip it down and just know that we're going to go with a young team, which the Cardinals already kind of have a, a lot of young pieces that they're reliant upon. But to think that they would trade away all of the big assets, even the guys that are under contract for a little bit longer, not just the short term ones that honestly make sense to move unless they really mount a charge in July and, and look like a playoff caliber team again. That's where you kind of lose me, and you're not going to have me on board with they should trade Goldschmidt. It's just not something that I'm going to support. And John Moselec basically said the same thing, that they're not really going into the sell mode of tear it down, trade away core players. Expiring contracts, though, I think do need to be considered, uh, but they're going to have to be kind of towing that line very closely with how the record looks and the standings look as they approach the deadline and hopefully for the Cardinals' sake, it would do it would do well for everybody if Flaherty and Montgomery got on a heater over the course of the next few weeks because it's either going to mean that the team, because of it, can work their way back into the conversation in the, in the division or, at the very least, it can mean the Cardinals are going to have a good time floating those guys in trade talks to maybe pick up some nice pieces or prospects in return for assets that are expiring in terms of their contract and they're going to free agency anyway. So that would benefit the Cardinals in a timeliness perspective to see those guys do well over the next few weeks. But let me know what you think. Did the London series 
improve your view of where the Cardinals stand or did it make you feel a little more uneasy about things or are you about where you were five days ago before the Cardinals left for Europe? Let me know what you think in the YouTube comments. Let me know your thoughts on Wainwright, how you feel about all of that, and, and maybe what the Cardinals should do in terms of who they should trade. I feel like that's going to be a very common topic of discussion. Let the YouTube comments be your sounding board. Subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel, and make sure you're following as well on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for every Be Shafe Daily episode. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys so much, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.